Hey there! If you like true crime stories and you love being in the great outdoors, you have come to the right place. I'm Tara, your host. Welcome to Crime Off the Grid, Ranger Tales Edition. Hey, welcome to Crime Off the Grid, Ranger Tales Edition, where we talk about the day in the life of a ranger and hear the tales of stuff you just can't make up. So today, my guest is John Hale, a former National Park Service ranger who has not only done law enforcement for the National Park Service, he's worked for other agencies in off the grid and wild places. Hi, John. Hello. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us. Hey, would you care to elaborate on some of the places you've worked? Sure. I, I started my career with the National Park Service shortly after college. Uh, I had spent a number of years in fee collection in Yosemite National in California. My first law enforcement position was up at Grand Canyon National Park for two seasons, uh, at which time I moved down to Saguaro National Park in Tucson, Arizona, continuing on in the seasonal realm. While at Saguaro, I eventually accepted a term appointment where I got some of the benefits, but not all of the benefits. And wanting to develop my career status, I was offered a position with Pima County, uh, which is the Tucson area with the Pima County Parks Department. I spent 10 years uh, working for them. I then spent a year working on the Ta'oda if I can pronounce it correctly, Ta'oda Autumn uh, Reservation as a tribal police officer. Shortly after that, I took a position up in North Dakota. As a city police officer and within 10 months became the chief of police and did that for a couple of years. And I that was pretty much the end of my law enforcement career at that point. Wow, that's um, quite a varied work history in lots of uh, off-the-grid places for sure. And this tale you're going to tell us today takes place where? Uh, Saguaro National Park to the west of Tucson, pretty much the, the, the park is rather unique. It is, is divided with the Rincon Mountain District and the Tucson Mountain District on opposite sides of the city of Tucson. The Rincon Mountain District is the easternmost end in the Rincon Mountains, where the Tucson Mountain District is in the, is considered the West District on the west side of the Tucson mountain range. Well, yeah, I didn't realize that the city of Tucson separated Saguaro. So that's, that sounds interesting. I, I did a brief Google about Saguaro National Park, where it told me that it was first established in 1933 for the purpose of protecting the giant Saguaro cactuses and the associated Sonoran Desert and Sky Island ecological communities. So I know there's a lot more to it and what the park is protecting. But today we're going to talk about crime and your tale that has to do with uh, some criminal acts. So I'm, I'm ready for you to tell your tale whenever, whenever you are. It was a, a, a typical late afternoon evening. 
uh, I was working traffic enforcement because unfortunately we had had a serious number of traffic collisions, uh, mostly due to speed. I, I was working in area, uh, Sandaria Road, which has a, and I'm going to approximate, I'm going to say about a four-mile section that falls within the park. And I was sitting doing stationary radar, and I had a vehicle coming uh, up behind me at a high rate of speed. I had locked the radar. I initiated a traffic stop on the vehicle. It was an older model, uh, the old-style Ford Bronco. Uh, take into account this was 15 years ago. Came back with Colorado license plates. I, nothing suspicious about the vehicle. The vehicle uh, you know, pulled to the right, came to a stop. And as soon as I opened the door, uh, the vehicle decided it didn't want to be there anymore. <laughs> uh, it took off at a high rate of speed, spraying dirt and rocks all over wow. my uh, vehicle. I, and at that point, you want to run? I'm going to chase you. <laughs> uh, so we, we started a, a what seemed like a lengthy pursuit. Uh, realistically, it was probably all about three to four minutes. Uh, we had gone down Sandaria Road to the intersection with Rudisil Road, proceeded to go east, and at that time, Rudisil Road was a, for lack of a better term, a dirt trail. Speeds were up in the 80-mile-an-hour range. Wow. Uh, little concern for safety reasons. A vehicle in front of you doing 80 miles an hour, me following the vehicle at, at a close proximity and speed visibility is non-existent. I'm sorry. Did you say what types of vehicles that you had and that the suspect had? Uh, his was a the older model, big boxy Ford Bronco. I'm driving a Ford Crown Victoria. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm good on pavement, not yeah, in the dirt. exactly. Uh, we go up the road, I'm going to say a mile, mile and a half uh, with the park boundary immediately on my right side, I get up to an intersection where all of a sudden the dust cloud that I was in dissipates to absolutely nothing. There, There's not even a speck of dust in the air. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm thoroughly confused at this point. Where, where did my suspect vehicle go? Wow. It's like the aliens. Uh, extremely... The aliens extremely uncomfortable how I could lose something that quickly. Wow. And and how, you know, dusty it was coming up the road to where there's not a speck of dust anywhere. I I, I couldn't explain it even to this day. Uh, it, it was just rather unique. One of the problems, and I understand it has changed now, but at that time, the primary dispatcher for the National Park Service was U.S. Border Patrol uh, out of their Tucson uh, sector office. The advantage I had, because there was actually another ranger that was on duty, but he was having lunch at his house at the time, and the vehicle I was in has the county sheriff's office 800 megahertz radio system in it. And, and in any 
urgent situation or emergency type situation, uh, we go to the county radio system because there's a whole lot more available resources, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, dispatchers that can pinpoint exactly where we're at a lot quicker and get assistance to us when needed. So a lot of this pursuit was put over the sheriff's office radio system rather than going through U.S. Border Patrol. Meanwhile, I had lost this vehicle. Uh, I had started, you know, looking around my immediate area going, okay, it's got to be here somewhere. Where, where did I miss it? So I, I pulled into a driveway because I see a pair of headlights coming down the driveway. Now, all my emergency, emergency equipment is still active other than the siren itself. And I, I, I stop and I see the vehicle coming down the road and I thought, okay, you know, this has got to be one of the local residents. Let me see if they can help me in finding this vehicle. Within a matter of seconds, uh, I realized this vehicle's coming at a very high rate of speed. And unfortunately, if you've ever had the experience of looking at a pair of headlights in the dark, uh, it's hard to discern what type of vehicle it is. Right. By the time I figured out, uh-oh, this might be the person I'm actually looking for, uh, I estimated his speeds, if I recall it right, at least uh, 40 to 50 miles an hour coming right at me. Right. Where am I going to go? I, I've got nowhere to go. Yeah. Uh, he's got room to go around me. He chose not to go around me and took out the left front end of the vehicle. Oh, in he words, hit the, your the vehicle. He hit you yes. in the left front end of your vehicle. And did it disable yeah. you? Disable you? 95% yes. Uh, <laughs> realizing that that's the individual I had been in the chase with as, you know, it hits me, uh, goes around me. I try to go out the door doors jammed yes oh window goes down shotgun gets released me and the shotgun go out the window yeah uh at at this point i'm seeing him behind me i get out i level the shotgun down on him he's got significant damage to him he goes up on two wheels now this is a call it a more rural uh, area with a number of houses. I leveled the shotgun on him. I could have very well utilized deadly force. I was not comfortable at this point because of what was behind the right. vehicle and not being assured that any one of the rounds that I would have fired through the shotgun could have very well gone into an occupied residence. This all, from the time he hit me till the time I was outside the car with the shotgun leveled, I would say less than 30 seconds. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, He goes up on two wheels, gets it somewhat straightened out, goes away from me back towards the park. I, I watch where he goes as much as I can. He goes, I'm gonna say within a quarter of a mile, goes through the park fence and abandons the vehicle. So uh, was it a boundary I, fence? He blew, he blew through a boundary yeah, fence? or what a five foot, well, not five strand barbed wire fence. Oh, wow. 
he he had once again re-entered the park for one reason or another. Uh, to this day, I couldn't tell you why. You know, I I know there was damage to the vehicle. I don't know how significant that damage was to where the vehicle couldn't go down the road mm-hmm. in a reasonable fashion, yeah. uh, and it was time to abandon it. I, you know, I I have no idea on that one. Um, because the vehicle was far enough away from me, sheriff's office had sent additional units out. The traffic investigations unit came out because it's now a what's categorized as a patrol car collision. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's how I put it out. Mm-hmm. Traffic investigators were rather quick in getting there. District ranger was contacted and also uh, came to the scene. It was determined rather quickly that this was an aggravated assault and yes. not a traffic collision. Yes. Uh, you know, the intent was made crystal clear. The traffic unit looked rather quickly at the amount of room. I, driver of the vehicle could have easily gone around my patrol car and kept right on going. Why he chose to take me out was a little later d- determined. Yeah. Uh, investigators did their thing. A tow truck was called. Uh, they put the suspect vehicle on uh, the Ford Bronco on a tow truck and transported it to the uh, Pima County Sheriff's Department ID unit because I, all along the license plate on the vehicle was, was coming back appearing to be legitimately to that vehicle with not showing it as being a stolen vehicle. Uh, the belief at the time was it was just an unreported stolen vehicle. Right. They, The district ranger and I had a very detailed conversation. I had no desire whatsoever to go to the hospital via ambulance, but due to policy, <laughs> Uh, had no choice in that matter, shall we say. Right, of course. I I was transported for very good reasons, even though to this day I still don't agree with them, but I understand Well, mechanism of potential Um, injury there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was shortly, I I would say within an hour, released from the uh, University Medical Center and, and cleared, and my district ranger and I were talking via cell phone, you know, about this entire incident and how we were going to have to explain this to the chief ranger. <laughs> uh, because everything in his training and my training and, you know, all the advanced officer trainings I've gone to, pieces were not adding up at all. Mm-hmm. In, in what had occurred to this point, my backup uh, ranger Brian Rutledge had been asked to go down and do follow up with the sheriff's department because sh- the sheriff's department, because of the aggravated assault, was taking the lead in the investigation. Uh, so he went down to the ID section, uh, where unfortunately two deceased individuals were located in the what I would call the cargo area or behind the rear seat of the vehicle. One of the ID techs 
had opened up the back door uh, and found the two deceased individuals. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so at, bef- prior to when the tow truck came, nobody had looked in that vehicle or searched the vehicle incident to uh, what had just occurred. And the tow truck gets all the way uh, to the impound or wherever they have this for evidence or whatever. And nobody looked in there prior to the, the tech person opening the back. I, I was not there because they unfortunately put me in an ambulance and I was clear of the original scene. And because this is kind of a convoluted scene, you've got where the aggravated assault occurred and where I was, right? where the suspect vehicle had gone anywhere between a quarter and a half mile up the road further, well outside of view from where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and deputies had located the other vehicle. Um, and I was told because they wanted to not contaminate the vehicle, they did a real quick cursory check of the vehicle and secured it knowing that they wanted to do forensics on the interior of the vehicle. Got it. So they put it on a tow truck and took it to the sheriff's office to do the forensics. And as the ID techs opened up the vehicle, found two uh, deceased Hispanic males. And they were uh, Um, deceased by, did you know what the uh, cause of death was for them? Yeah, I believe it was gunshot. Oh, okay. I exact locations. I couldn't tell you. I don't have mm-hmm. that specific information. I was given this information via my district ranger when he got it, and it was kind of shocking to both of us. But it put a lot of the missing pieces in perspective real mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sheriff's department was not very happy that the back of that vehicle was not checked because now they've what's still to this day a open double homicide case with a suspect that the chances of apprehension would have been significantly higher earlier right uh in the investigation rather than you know, once the bodies were found, you know, the chance of putting an air unit up or multiple air units up and putting a lot of bodies to the ground was pretty much pointless. Yeah, right. Were the uh, bodies ever identified? Yes. Oh, okay. So you knew who the bodies belonged to, but the suspect, whatever, what was ever the result of finding the suspect? My understanding, and I, I, it's because it's been a lot of years, uh, I believe there is an active homicide, double homicide warrant out for an individual that is tri- tied to one of the cartels in Mexico. Oh. Uh, and everything I've heard is what had happened is he had been sent north to find the two individuals that had done a drug run into the United States and were supposed to be bringing monies back to Mexico and decided to go have a party with the money rather than return it to Mexico. Oops. Well, that doesn't, that sounds like poor judgment all the way around on their parts. It's, it's interesting because I, 
you know, since this incident, I've had several other ones uh, in the Tucson area involving narcotics, etc. And, you know, my policy routinely, especially in the southern Arizona area where I hate to say it, it's, it's a unique environment. Everything there will bite, sting, or prick you. Wow. Chasing a bad guy through the desert at one o'clock in the morning for any reason from a safety standpoint is foolish. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, probably pretty foolish to go running through the desert away from the cops too, but I guess uh, the suspect thought that was a risk he was willing to take. To this day, my district ranger and I still talk routinely because he's retired now as well. And he, he said the same thing. He goes, you don't know how lucky you are. You know, I and to this day, uh, with just my years of experience, I could easily write a book on how to kill a police officer on a traffic stop. Wow. It is by far the most dangerous encounter you'll ever make in a law enforcement career. Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking about... Uh- encountering making a traffic stop on someone who's a drug trafficker is that what you're referring to it can start out like like this did right a just a routine traffic stop minor which, violation mm-hmm. right you know running a stop sign speeding you have no idea who's in that vehicle right and i've I, i've seen it through the years in arizona especially working closer to the border the, the cartels are rather smart in how they uh, will utilize stolen vehicles. They'll, they'll steal a vehicle, take the license plates from that vehicle, throw them away, and they'll go steal five or six sets of plates on very similar matching trucks. Yeah, yeah. You run that plate, it doesn't tell you anything. Uh, unless you're a vehicle expert, you're not going to realize the differences between a 1989 Ford and a 1990 Ford F-150 mm-hmm. pickup. Yeah, definitely. Wow. This is a crazy story, and people just don't realize, you know, what happens in national parks, what happens outside of national parks, just like any other law enforcement officer, and the dangers of just any contact, traffic stop or otherwise. And thank you so much, John, for sharing this story. Uh, It's a crazy story. Who knew the vehicle you were trying to stop had a pair of dead bodies in the back? It it was shocking to me. I, I, you know, like I said, A and B were not coming up the right answer. There there had to be something to it. But, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, and we talk in retrospect about it. My biggest thing is, you know, uh, training is, is paramount, especially, yes. you know, th- this was at the earlier stages of my career. You know, training is huge these days. Don't ever underestimate, you know, oh, I got to go to another eight hour session on yeah. training. Mm-hmm. Make no, it the best you yeah. can. It, yeah. it, it's Every ranger out there, I, I hate to say it, whether it's a county ranger, national park ranger, even state parks, you got to do a lot of the public relations, uh, you know, and, and be courteous. And, you know, people are going to ask you some of the dumbest questions in God's green earth. <laughs> but at the same point, 
what's going to say it's not going to turn into a, a use of deadly force? Right. You don't right. know those answers. You never know. And the goal of every park ranger and every law enforcement everywhere is to go home at night after every shift. Yep. You have that responsibility to make sure you can safely go home. You go home. You know, National Park Service, I, I hate to say it, people do not implore the same safety precautions they use at their home when they go camping or recreating, whether it's BLM, U.S. Forest Service, National Park Service, it doesn't matter. People, you know, take their trailer, their their RV camping, do they lock it like they would their front door on their house? Right. No. Right. (laughs) People do feel like uh, parks in those areas are safer for some reasons, and they're not any more dangerous, but they should have, just as you said, the exact same safety concerns as they do at home. Well, we'll leave on that note. And uh, John, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I really appreciate that. And uh, if you think of another one, uh, we'll have you back on Ranger Tales. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it for today for Ranger Tales. Happy trails, everybody, and watch out for the company you keep. Hey, before you go, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit our website at crimeoffthegrid.com and send us a story suggestion or leave a comment at crimeoffthegrid at gmail.com. Please keep sharing with your friends and follow Crime Off the Grid on Facebook and at Crime Off the Grid Podcast on Instagram.